There was actually a study of aromas and arousal. In Mm. 2014, the Smell and Taste Treatment Research Foundation in Chicago, Illinois, did a study called Human Male Sexual Response to Olfactory Stimuli. They actually had men put on masks with 30 different scents and then measured their arousals. (laughs) I just had this like visual of what the lab looked like. And it is (laughs) eyes wide shut. Plus Mad Max. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Little little clockwork orange in there. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Every Day is a Food Day, a show about the stories, scandals, history and holidays behind your favorite foods. I'm Leah Ballantyne, a chef creator. And I'm Anna Van Valen, your resident food philosopher. It's Valentine's Day, and we're feeling romantic. Dim the lights and light a candle, because this episode is all about aphrodisiac food. First up, Leah's going to tell us about the crucial role food plays in Valentine's Day, what Phoebe Buffay from Friends has been lying to us about all along, and how chocolates ended up in those heart-shaped boxes. As a wise man once said, life is like a box of chocolates. Every piece is a potential disappointment. Wait, is that right? Close enough. <laughs> then Anna's going to step into her food philosopher lab coat and ask the question, are any of these foods actually aphrodisiacs? She'll tell us why we think these foods get us in the mood, why the FDA does not want you to eat oysters, and the silent killers lurking next to bodega cash registers. Male enhancement supplements. For more great content about the foods and stories you hear about today, check out the links in our show notes, connect with us on social media at at fooddaypod, and join our mailing list. Be sure to follow the show wherever you get your podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a rating and review. Hey, everyone. Hello. It's 2022. Mm -hmm. And we're going to make you some new episodes. This is so exciting. We're in season three. Season freaking three. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy. I mean, we did start this show two years ago because we were like, you know what? Everybody's having a tough time. Yeah. We got to make something just for this time, mm-hmm. this short, brief period where things are so difficult. Yeah. Let's brighten people's days and then we'll get through this together in a few months. Everything will be better. Narrator, it wasn't. <laughs> Here we are. 2022. I mean, some things are a little bit better. Like, I think about Mitch McConnell a lot less. Oh, yeah. Way less. Than I did two years ago when we started. That's nice. Mm -hmm. Blessed. (laughs) Hashtag blessed. Hashtag blessed. But yeah, we're doing something a little bit different. I guess it's similar Mm -hmm. to when we did the poisonous food. Yeah. Which was so fun. That was. And scary. (laughs) And scary. When is Poison Awareness Week? It's coming up in March. All right. Everybody get ready. Springtime tradition. I just can't wait to see the children's art fair again. (laughs) That's a callback. Today we're talking about aphrodisiac food. Yeah. Romantic food. Sexy foods. Hide the kids, everyone. That's right. This is an explicit episode. Explicit. In case you didn't notice with the little content. E next to the That's right. Title. I, I actually checked that box. We probably should have checked it for a few more episodes in the yes. past. <laughs> We're going to talk about sexy stuff. Yeah. Oysters. Mm-hmm. I'm going to ruin oysters for all of you. Oh, no. I love oysters. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. We've ruined so many foods for people. Anna, don't. 
<laughs> but we figured, you know, everyone's feeling so romantic right now. It is that time of year. Valentine's Day. Is Valentine's Day a big deal for you, Leah? Um, Valentine's Day is. <gasps> I see what you did there. That's the day where people just feed me mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> just in, out of a heart-shaped bowl. I would love that. Beautiful. But Valentine's Day, oh, it's sweet. Every day is like Valentine's Day. Aww. Aww. <laughs> what about you, Anna? How's V-Day for you? Every day is V-Day for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Van Valen Day. Van Valentine's Day. Oh. oh. It happened. Um, It's cute. Mm-hmm. These days, not so much because so we've got, you know, Christmas Eve, Christmas, New Year's Eve, New Year's. Our anniversary is February 1st. Ah. So by the time we get to February 14th, we're kind of like, love ya. <laughs> we're a little bit celebrated out. I can see that. But I do like to do it's a little something special, you know. Mm-hmm. I think last year we got a kit that was whiskey and chocolate pairings. Ooh, that sounds really good. Yeah. So it was really fun because then we there was like a compartes box <gasps> and then a bunch of different yum, like yum, whiskeys yum. and whiskey cocktails. And then you would like try the different cocktails with the chocolate and there were like little tutorials you know when the whoever the like whiskey sommelier was like there's notes of amber and uh farm soil and you're like sure it's whiskey but thank you yeah i taste that leather of course i do (laughs) Mm, tobacco and cinnamon Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i have an interesting valentine's day story for you and I want to hear it. Every time Valentine's Day comes around, it's a reminder of my very first paying job as a kid. Okay. So did I ever tell you, Anna, that my first job was in a legit candy factory? No. Imagine just like little like teenager Leah. Lucy and Ethel candy factory? Yes. Oh my God. So there's this place in my hometown and it was, it's literally called like the candy factory and They needed seasonal workers for Valentine's Day to prepare for the rush. And my job was to dip strawberries in chocolate, like for hours, nonstop. And it was awesome. How old were you? I think I was only like 15. Oh, that's sus. That's, that's. Well, I went to Catholic school and Sister Janine knew that I was a good worker. And she told me about this job opportunity. She probably got some sort of pay cut from it. (laughs) She got a commission. Yeah, she got a commission. And I was like, this sounds great. I would love to get a job at work and get like, you know, a paycheck. And so I signed up and I became a strawberry dipper. And I would just dip strawberries and chocolate and then make like the little tuxedo looking strawberries dipped in chocolate wait by hand was there a machine was this like were you doing it like by the dozen or one I was by dipping one by hand <gasps> one by one so we get like a bunch of strawberries and then there was basically like a kind of like a chocolate fountain mm-hmm, you know that mm-hmm. just had the chocolate sauce there and then i would dip them put them on a tray dip them stick them on a tray and then when they're ready box them up into their little strawberry chocolate box sets that's so fun but if there was a strawberry that was like gnarly looking Mm -hmm. i got to keep it i got (laughs) to eat it did you just mess up every third strawberry it was so great i was like this one looks ugly i'll just have it (laughs) it's like when i worked at starbucks in college we'd be like "Mm, this muffin is missing a chunk (laughs) can't Mm -hmm. sell it it's mine (laughs) it's mine (laughs) that's exciting well what did you learn like what was Um, your what did you get really good at 
I was pretty good at it. And there were a couple of uh, friends of mine that also got to do this job. So it was it was cool. You know, it's like me and my two friends. We got to dip strawberries all day, keep the strawberries that were imperfect. And then the local news came out and did a whole story on, they called us like the candy elves that oh were gosh. working to do <laughs> all of this production for Valentine's Day. So you got to be on TV? So we got to be on TV. <gasps> I am so impressed. This is, yeah, my fondest Valentine's Day memory. I mean, this sounds like the best job ever. Was it just all downhill from yeah. the candy factory? Oh my gosh. I remember I got my first paycheck and I was so excited. And then that's when I learned about taxes. And my parents <laughs> just laughed at me and they're like, <laughs> you didn't know. And I was like, wait, I thought I was supposed to get this much an hour. What is this? They ripped me off. And like, you thought you got no. to keep all $7? No. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I wish it was $7. Gosh, what was it back then? I don't know. It was so piddly. Are, so are there any foods that I think we, we consider aphrodisiac? We're going to talk later about whether they're actual aphrodisiacs or not, but that are considered aphrodisiacs that are like not to you, are like absolute turnoffs. Hmm. I don't know. I think I kind of like all of the ones that are pretty popular that we've talked about, you know, before. Mm. Oysters. I'm an oyster fan. I know you're going to ruin oysters for me later. Ruin it. <laughs> but I like them. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it puts like me in the mood, but I'm definitely happy after I eat an oyster. <laughs> That's half the Steaks, battle. Steaks, you know, are good. I love the fruits, the strawberries, mm -hmm. papayas. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think if there's any one that I don't like. I'm pretty easy to please, though. I... <laughs> I just know because I think it's so funny that oysters are considered like the number one aphrodisiac when I hate seafood. Mm -hmm. So for me, showing up with a plate of oysters is a pretty great way to guarantee that I am not going to be in the mood <laughs> and I'm not going to want to go anywhere near you. Right. The state is over. <laughs> it's over. Like I got the message. You could have uh -huh. just canceled. You didn't need Aww. to bring those things near me. But it's, it is sort of a personal preference. That's true. I mean, I don't know if mashed potatoes are on the list, but like that uh, would be they one for should me. Be. <laughs> that would be one for me. <laughs> yeah. But I'm excited to hear about the top Valentine's Day foods. Yeah. Because food is a big part of Valentine's Day and it's a big part of romance, right? It is. It is. What is it? The way to a man or woman's heart? Is through, through their stomach. Is her stomach? <laughs> Which I always thought was weird. It always reminded me of like when you went to the county fair and you put your hand like into the stum cow's stomach. Like that was always weird to me. Like straight through their stomach? Won't they die? Wait, I've never done this before. <laughs> Please Wait, explain. What? Putting your hand in a cow's stomach? Yeah. So, <laughs> wow. <laughs> so um, cows have four chambers in their they yeah. have four stomachs. And there's a way to, like, have, I don't know, an incision or something that doesn't hurt them. And you can put your, they'll give you, like, a glove. And you can, like, feel the four chambers in their stomach. What? Was this only the Erie County Fair and, like, something illegal that was happening in Buffalo? Uh, <laughs> I don't recall okay. this at any of the county fairs I've been to. But that sounds crazy. Yeah. That you could actually feel the four chambers. Whoa. Yeah. Maybe that phrase makes more sense to people who haven't stuck their hand into a house. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a romantic adventure. 
Hey, hon. Let's go <laughs> stick our hands in a cow's stomach tonight. Uh, date night. Yeah. All right. So what do we want to tell the people? Follow the show. Follow us. Think of two friends who love podcasts or food or both and send them the link. Mm -hmm. We have a link if you want to support the show and help us cover the cost of production. We have a buy me a coffee link on our website. It's in the show notes as well. Follow us on the Instas. Yes. At Food Day Pod. At Food Day Pod on all the social meds. And Anna, what's going on with you? Oh, man. So much. I'm making making stuff for the people, Leah. (gasps) As you need to. The people want it. I'm branching out. I'm making stuff for the people. Well, specifically, I'm making stuff for the podcaster people. Mm-hmm. You know, Leah, I've been making podcasts and helping people make podcasts for like five years now. Yeah. And I love working with people and brands one-on-one on their podcasts because I really believe that everyone has something to say and that everybody deserves to be heard, right? And I think the podcasts are just a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, no one taught me this. <laughs> I didn't know anything about podcasts. I taught myself from like how to develop a podcast, how to publish it, how to edit it. And I would really like to save as many current or aspiring podcasters, the like concussions Uh and bleeding scalps and just general head injuries that I received from banging my head against the wall (laughs) to figure out how to do this podcasting thing, right? So Uh I've started a newsletter with some podcasting tips. Yay! that you can subscribe to at annavanbalen.com. I'm launching a blog called How to Make a Podcast Worth Listening to. Yes. And I have a little freebie on my website that you can download called The Top 5 Mistakes Podcasters Make Before They Launch, <gasps> How to Avoid Them, and How to Fix It If You've Already Done Them. Ooh, guys, get at it. Yeah. This is awesome. Free, y'all. I mean, there are so many mistakes <laughs> that yeah. can be made, but if you get Anna's freebie, you can avoid them. No, this is so cool, Anna. Thanks. I love it. Yeah, I'm excited. And what's awesome is you have done this for big, big brands, mm-hmm. big media companies. Mm-hmm. And also, you know how to work with like small, scrappy brands. Yeah, because it's all the same principles, right? Every mm-hmm. podcast boils down to the storytelling, the structure, and the sound. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I like to teach people. And whether you are a massive Hollywood studio or a journalist or an online food brand or mm-hmm. whoever you are, if you want to tell your story in this audio medium, there's like some basics. Yeah. And I want to help you out. I want to help you avoid those learning experiences. <laughs> So where was it? Go to AnnaVanValen.com? Yeah, just AnnaVanValen.com. Easy to remember. Grab my little freebie. Get some hot tips. And sign up for the mailing list. Lots of good tips in there. Yeah, I give good email. Mm -hmm. I give good email, people. (laughs) I do. You can enjoy it. And thanks for listening to the show. We love making it. We love making it for you. We hope you enjoy it. And to those of you who've been with us from the beginning, (gasps) heroes. You rock. I assume you're all wearing capes because you Mm -hmm. are our heroes. We love you. Thank you for sticking around with us. Should we dig into some holidays? Learn more about Valentine's Day? Yeah. Should we sink our teeth? We should sink our teeth into it. All right. Let's do it. And we call it a Look at the skies. They have stars in their eyes on this lovely abode. 
All right, Anna. I'm super excited because, you know, we've talked about food holidays in the past, but I think today it's kind of fun to be chatting about food and a holiday. Yeah. Which is Valentine's Day. We're kind of reverse engineering it. Yeah. We're starting we with the holiday and, we- <laughs> and then talking about a food. I know we were talking about aphrodisiac foods and guys, there's not a National Aphrodisiac Food Day yet. Maybe yet. this is one we need to launch ourselves. Mm. But Valentine's Day is kind of the aphrodisiac food day, if there's going to be any day during the year, right? Mm -hmm. With Valentine's Day, food is absolutely important. I mean, is it really Valentine's Day if you don't get candy or chocolate? No. Or a romantic dinner and some wine? No. I don't think so. No. (laughs) That's just a day. Yeah, it's just a day. Sure, there are flowers and cards, but if that's all you got, Mm-mm. I'm sorry. This relationship <laughs> is not going to last. <laughs> you can get chocolate anywhere, guys. Mm-hmm. Well, take take the yeah. Rite Aid chocolate. We don't care. Mm, I'll do some Rite Aid chocolate. <laughs> yeah. Rite Aid snacks? Oh, yeah. I'm down for that. Russell Stover <laughs> knows what's up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anna, do you know the wire cutter? Of course. A publication of the New York Times. Yeah, every like consumer good I own Pretty much. has been vetted by the wire cutter. Pretty much. Yeah, so last year they actually published this curated list of the best gifts to give for Valentine's Day. Hmm. There are 50 items on there. And when you look through it, 16 of them were all food and drink related. So again, it makes sense. Like food and drink are pretty important on Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. And a few of these food and drink gifts that caught my eye were those Haribo gummy bears. (laughs) That's like German Haribo gummy bears? The German Haribo gummy bears and Sour Patch Kids. Really? So those were on the list. And maybe it's just our generation right. that's like nostalgic. We're like, oh, how sweet. You got me Sour Patch Kids. Aww. Another thing was a soda stream, which, hey, that is the gift that keeps on giving. Uh, there's one right behind me. We have two in this house. Yeah, you've got two. We're yeah. soda stream people. You're a bubble water person. Heck yes. So I was like... Wire cutters got it right. And then there were other things like little food kits. They had a mozzarella and ricotta cheese making kit. Nice. You know, all kinds of little gifts like that. So if the wire cutter is saying like, hey, food and drink gifts are where it's at, then you got to believe them. Yeah. I don't know if those are sexy, but those are fun and would make somebody happy. That's right. Totally make them happy. But I guess like the whole thing with Valentine's Day, like when you really celebrate it is at the dinner. Mm -hmm. You know, the dinner is where it's at. And I guess like pre-COVID times, Valentine's Day was definitely the busiest day for restaurants. Yeah, So getting reservations was always tough. You know, people are like, try to book it in advance or move your Valentine's Day to another day if you really wanted to eat at that high-end restaurant. Mm -hmm. So it's all about the dinner. It's kind of like a time to show off to your partner too, I guess, especially like if you're in a new relationship, right? Yeah. You'd want to take your partner out to some fancy place or show off amazing cooking skills. It's your time to shine if you take this seriously. It's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. It's also how you can tell if someone that you are worried thinks that you're more than friends Uh actually does think that you're more (laughs) than friends. I once had a guy friend who was also single was like, hey, let's have dinner. It's Valentine's Day. And we're both single. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he showed up in a suit with dozen roses. And he took me to a Michelin star restaurant. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. You're like, I thought it was just like CeCe's Pizza. Yeah, man. I thought we were going to CPK. (laughs) Right? Oh, no. But instead, the maitre d' is there. Yeah, it's a good litmus test. (laughs) 
Well, it's interesting because, you know, you're saying that when this person showed up and then they took you to a Michelin star restaurant, everyone is Googling what restaurants to go to for Valentine's Day. And apparently the top search is for Italian restaurants. Oh, okay. Followed by French and Spanish restaurants. And, you know, maybe I can see that people want to do the whole Italian restaurant thing because it has a Lady in the Tramp sort of vibe. Totally. The spaghetti is super, super romantic. But if you look up recipes for Valentine's Day, usually at the top of the list is some sort of pasta dish, some kind of linguine. You've got all kinds of fettuccines, carbonaras. And when I was Googling other popular Valentine's Day pasta dishes, I found an interesting one from Food Network. Okay. And it was for a heart-shaped lasagna bunt. Wait a minute. So picture that in your head. Wait a minute. A lasagna bunt. This sounds familiar. Uh, guys, it's a noodle it's ring. It's a freaking noodle ring. <laughs> a noodle ring by any other name. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Would look as weird. So what do you like, layer the lasagna into the bunt cake or something? Yeah, so you find like a little <laughs> heart-shaped bunt mold, and then you just build your lasagna layers in it. Okay. So for any of you who listened to our noodle ring episode and saw our noodle ring pictures, just so you know... <laughs> That's probably some of the most romantic food you could get out there. (laughs) Well, yours did look more appealing and romantic than mine. (laughs) Sticking with my brand, a food philosopher. Well, then beyond pasta, the other popular dish, of course, is like the steak dinner. Mm. Uh, BBC Good Food said that one of their most popular recipes during Valentine's Day is steak with peppercorn sauce. With a side of potatoes, by the way. You have to have like the au gratin potatoes. Absolutely. But I guess the steak dinner, too, is another way to show off, like, how fancy you are. You know, you got your filet, you got your wagyu, you got an expensive tomahawk steak. Mm -hmm. I don't know who eats a tomahawk for Valentine's (laughs) Day. I would. That would be good. I don't know if things are getting sexy afterwards. I think things are getting nappy afterwards. Yeah, you gotta, like, you start unbuttoning your, you know, pants and then go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) But I found this really interesting article from a publication called Beef Magazine. I'm sorry, what? Beef magazine. Beef. And this is, it's about the food? Yeah, it's about beef. It is actually the cattle industry's, what did they say? Their authoritative source for business management and production information. I love this. Yeah. Do they have like centerfolds? <laughs> oh, look at this. This is cut. looking Bessie. Oh. <laughs> but on their online magazine, they had an interesting article called Valentine's Day is Beef's Time to Shine. Hmm. Yeah, and it was written by a woman named Amanda Radke in 2017, and she is a rancher. And the whole article was talking about using Valentine's Day as like the perfect time to promote beef sales. Talking about how steak is a little more romantic than chicken and pork. So this was like a great time to really bump those sales up. And the article linked to another piece that I thought was just as interesting. And in it, it mentioned that February also happens to be American Heart Health Month. Oh, no. Yeah, (laughs) I know. So there's a little conflict here because during this month where you have Valentine's Day and great steak dinners, there's also Heart Health Month and people are also just getting into their whole New Year's resolution thing Mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, hear people avoiding red meat. So for beef, it's like sales might have slipped a little bit since the New Year's. So Valentine's Day is your time to try to bump that up and start getting people ready and prepared and build that momentum so that by Memorial Day, we're all beef all the time. Uh, (laughs) Making a barbecue, making a brisket. So steaks are one of the top choices for Valentine's Day dinner. But during February, there is a little bit of a beef council versus heart council. (laughs) 
battle going on. A beef beef? Mm -hmm. A beef beef. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I love that. So we just talked about all the turf, and now we're going to get to the surf. So seafood, another popular food item for Valentine's Day, particularly lobster. One reason why people say lobster is perfect for Valentine's Day is because this lobster expert slash genius named Phoebe Buffet from Friends legend said that lobsters mate for life. Hang in there. It's going to happen. Well, okay, now how do you know that? Because she's your lobster. <laughs> oh, she's going somewhere. Come on, you guys. It's a known fact that lobsters fall in love and mate for life. And you know what? You can actually see old lobster couples walking around their tank, you know, holding claws. Like... Wait, so that's not really true? No, what? it's not true. The whole she's his lobster thing is not real? It's not real. And we know it's not real because Kurt Brown, a marine biologist from Maine, spoke to E! News <laughs> to tell us that Friends has been lying to us. <laughs> I can't believe Phoebe Buffay was wrong about something. Yeah, she was totally wrong. So according to Kurt Brown, the marine biologist, he said that lobsters by nature are not monogamous and do not pair for life. And in fact, a dominant male lobster will actually mate with multiple females during encounters that last days to weeks. <gasps> so lobsters are F-boys? Yes, they are. What is there left to believe in, Leah? <laughs> I know. So Phoebe was wrong. Friends lied to us. When someone says he's her lobster, they're saying he's messing with her heart. Mm -hmm. He's an F-boy. Yeah. Move on. He's an F-boy. <laughs> I'm glad that Kurt Brown cleared that up. Yeah. I love that he went on E! News to dispute this. Absolutely. <laughs> Although maybe then the appropriate response is to catch one in a net and rip it up and dip it in butter. That's true. <laughs> it makes me feel pretty good about what I'm eating then. You're saving some lady lobster some heartache. That's dark. You are. <laughs> it is really That's dark. dark. <laughs> if you don't want lobsters now, because now you know they don't mate for life, there are other seafood dishes like oysters. You'll talk about that in the deep dish, Anna, I so I won't get into it there. But something else that's been happening is that sushi has become a more and more popular food for Valentine's Day. Hmm. I was saying at the beginning that Google searches for restaurants are always like pinging in the Italian restaurant, French restaurant space. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently more people are looking for sushi restaurants because sushi is a more popular place for friends to go. So it has a more platonic vibe oh, okay. than does the Italian restaurant or the French restaurant. So like less pressure for things to yeah. get super romantic or sexual. Exactly. So it's a little cozier, but friendlier mm -hmm. versus, you know, the little intimate Italian restaurant with the pastas and the steaks and all of that. So sushi is gaining in popularity. And, you know, some sushi restaurants, too, are getting kind of gimmicky about it with heart-shaped rolls mm -hmm. and all that stuff. I'll take it. I'll, I'll <laughs> eat any sushi roll. But of course, one of the most important parts of the Valentine's Day dinner is the dessert. And when it comes to the dessert, you got to have chocolate. Got to have it. Chocolate is just like the most important part of the celebration, I think. And it's important for so many other celebrations, not just Valentine's Day. I was just going to say, chocolate has really inserted itself in many holidays like Easter. Yes. Got to have the chocolate mm -hmm. eggs. Totally. Christmas, chocolate everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So um, chocolate is poly-holiday, poly-holidorous, poly... It's a, a, an integral part of many holidays. I love it. 
So historians were saying that the connection between chocolate and love goes back to the Mayans who used to brew cacao beans and then use it as a gift from the gods in marriage ceremonies. But it wasn't until the 1860s that we start to see chocolate and Valentine's Day become a thing. And the reason that happened was in 1861, there was an English candy maker named Richard Cadbury. Mm. Does the name sound familiar? Who started to put chocolate in little heart-shaped boxes. I knew it. And sell those for Valentine's Day. I knew it. I told you. (laughs) I was thinking, why is chocolate associated with Valentine's Day? And I had this whole image, like the pork controversy, the bacon Uh conspiracy, where like Mr. Hallmark and Mr. Hershey ended up at a hotel in Orlando. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) At a conference and like hashed an idea. I totally buy it. (laughs) You called it. I totally buy it. It's true. So Richard Cadbury is the son of John Cadbury, who founded the Cadbury Cocoa and Chocolate Company. Mm. And when Richard took over the family business, he's like, I got to sell this. I got to sell the chocolate. Got to move this chocolate. Like, we have to move this stuff. And, oh, I have an idea. What if I put chocolates in a little box that's shaped like a heart and then decorate it with tiny little cupids and tiny little roses? And boom, it was a hit. I believe it. I think that... Part of the reason why that works so well is it's easy. Yeah. Right? It's an it easy win. Almost everybody loves chocolate. Mm-hmm. You've made it romantic by putting it in the cute box. And yep. now people are like, oh, I don't have to think too hard. Exactly. I got a win right here. It's going to be good. Who's going to hate this? No one. Right. You can share. Chocolate's like pizza. Like even some like not great chocolate is still great. <laughs> exactly. Still chocolate. <laughs> Just don't fill it with nasty stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Don't put pistachios in there. Come on. Coconut. (laughs) Stop it. I'll trade. We have (laughs) chocolate boxes. We can like pick out what we want and do a trade. But that's what's so great about it. It's full of so many chocolates. There's going to be something that you're going to eat from it. And Richard Cadbury figured it out and was like, heart-shaped box, chocolates, boom, we're selling this. And sure enough, that's kind of what started the whole chocolate Valentine's Day trend. And here in North America, it's estimated that nearly... 60 million pounds of chocolate are bought to celebrate Valentine's Day. Whoa. Do you want a chocolate? I could eat about a million and a half of these. My mom always said life was like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So we've got pasta, steak, seafood, chocolate. And those are all part of like what makes Valentine's meal so romantic. So Anna, I'm excited to hear you tell us like, why do people pick these foods? What makes them the food that gets us in the mood for Valentine's Day and romance and feeling sexy and flirty? I'm going to tell you, we're going to hear all about it in the deep dish. All right. So we've talked about different foods that we consider romantic, things we want to eat on Valentine's Day. Mm -hmm. But there are some foods that people claim are aphrodisiac. Mm -hmm. The technical definition is a food, drink, or drug that increases sexual arousal. Okay. Mm, Okay. So to me, that means it's something that you consume, right, Mm -hmm. that causes sexual arousal. Yeah. A straight line from the food to bone town. Okay. 
That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> so I was wondering as I was thinking about this, are they really aphrodisiacs? <laughs> Is there actually like a physiological, mm-hmm. biological, straight line to bone town? <laughs> yeah. Is it a real thing? Is it really a thing? Mm-hmm. Because it could be a lot of things, right? There could be just a placebo effect of suggesting that this thing mm-hmm. is aphrodisiac or the context you eat it in. If you are having it on a date where you want to get lucky, it might enhance that because that's what you want to happen. Yeah. And that's what's expected. Or like legends, traditions. So there's, you know, legends that like Casanova ate oysters off women's bosoms. Right. Or Cleopatra would eat oysters before she had a gentleman collar. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So is it a mix of those things or is it actually the food equivalent of Viagra? Yeah. (laughs) That's what I wanted to dig into a little bit today. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little skeptical. Same. I'm a little bit. I'm a little Mm -hmm. skeptical that these foods are actually aphrodisiac, but I'm a child of academics. So we were going to do this academically Mm -hmm. and actually do our research. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Awesome. Okay. Sometimes when we want to give an example of something on the show, we will give you an epic list. So we did this for (laughs) pumpkin spice flavored things, bacon flavored things, where we learned that bacon lube exists. Oh, God. The bacon lube. (laughs) No. Speaking of Valentine's Day, people, if you want to spice it up or salt it up, Mm -hmm. maybe try that bacon lube. Let us know. Actually, don't. (laughs) So here is an epic list of food and drinks considered aphrodisiacs. According to the internet. Ready? Yes, bring it. Champagne, chocolate, oysters, cannabis, hmm. ambergris, spinach, pumpkin seeds, red wine, watermelon, papaya, salmon, bananas, avocados, pomegranate, asparagus, chai, coffee, chilies, celery, green M&Ms, pineapple, <laughs> honey, truffles, pumpkins, ginseng, cinnamon, olive oil, garlic, ginkgo biloba, pistachios, saffron, figs, vanilla, arugula, coconut water, yams, cardamom, blueberries, peanuts, strawberries, walnuts, cold water fish, yohimbe, and red grapes. Oh, <laughs> So the better question might be, what is not considered yeah, an aphrodisiac? Because, like, <laughs> what is left? <laughs> that was so weird, too, because it was, like, a mix of everything. Like, all kinds of fruits, vegetables, meats, seafoods. Spices. Spices, right. This is a bit of a red flag to me. They can't possibly all be, you know, you would just be horny at every meal. Yeah. Man, that arugula salad. <laughs> <laughs> the only one I believe is green m M&M. Because it's the sexy M&M, right? It's the sexy M&M. Yeah. Obviously. She wears heels. She has eyelashes. Uh Uh-huh. Sexy time. Uh Uh-huh. Dear listener, we taped this episode before the earth-shattering news that the green M&M will no longer be wearing sexy heels, but simple sneakers. No word yet on if she continues to be an aphrodisiac or if she will still melt in our mouths, not in our hands. Back to the show. And another thing is that it kind of varies from culture to culture. Mm-hmm. So the lists will vary. And there were a lot of things that was like, in this country, this is considered aphrodisiac. Ah. Right. So less about like the actual, I don't know, chemicals to it and more just like the belief. But there were some pretty wild ones <laughs> that I will share with you now. Ooh. Um, the first one is a durian. <gasps> Do you know what a really? durian is? Oh, yes. I like durian. The smell is terrible, yeah. but the taste is great. <laughs> durian, if you don't know, is a Malaysian superfruit that stinks. It smells so bad that it is not allowed on public transportation in Malaysia. You mm-hmm. can't bring a durian on a bus. 
<laughs> Which again makes me wonder how that's sexy. But according to the article I read, there is a Malaysian saying, when the durians come down, the sarongs come off. <laughs> Incredible. Which wow. is just a great visual. <laughs> <laughs> Another one, Leah, maybe you can enlighten us is a Filipino delicacy, which is very scary to me, called balut. Oh, balut. Balut? Yes, balut. Do you want to kind of explain what that is? Yeah. So it's a duck embryo. (laughs) I like balut. Really? Yeah. So it's a a little egg. The duck embryo is there. And then you can heat it up and it kind of makes a broth inside because, you know, you've, you know, boiled it. Uh Uh-huh. And then when you, like, crack off the top, you can actually... Sip the broth out, and it's really, it's really good. Oh man! Every now and then, you can like, you know, taste a little something else. But oh. for the most part, the balut broth is great. Oh wow! Put a little salt in it. Squeeze a little lemon. Everything's better with salt and lemon. <laughs> Have you ever heard that it is an aphrodisiac? No, I never knew that. All right, well wow. that was on the list. Another one was Jamaican cow cod soup, which is made out of bull penis. Hmm, penis soup. There you go. I mean, it seems a little too obvious, right? Yeah, that that's too <laughs> on the nose. <laughs> One that we mentioned in that list was chili peppers. And especially in Peru, this is a very strongly held belief that chili peppers are an aphrodisiac. So much so that in the 1970s, the Peruvian government banned chili sauce from prisons. <gasps> What? Banned chili sauce from being served with prison food because they were afraid that the chili sauce would get the prisoners so turned on that the men would, you know, (laughs) have some big house love, which was sin. No way. Yeah. So they banned it. And I'm sure it 100% worked. The chilies. Wow. Another one that I have seen is Colombian leafcutter ants, a.k.a. hormigas culonas, Mm -hmm. which translates to big ass ants. Are these really big ants? Yeah. If you Google them and you look at pictures of them, because you know like a regular ant has like the head and the thorax and then behind, they have a huge ass. Oh, so it's literally a big literally, ass. The ant, <laughs> the back third of it is huge. Big ass wow. ants. I saw these all over Colombia and there are dudes walking around like street vendors and they have like sandwich boards, like these huge boards. And on the front, it says big ass ants, nature's Viagra. And they have these like fanny packs filled with Ziploc bags of these dried ants. Wow. Like we went on walking tours and stuff and they would always point it out and be like, it works. Big ass (laughs) ants, they work. You better go get some. And actually, one of the nights we were in Cartagena, we went to this beautiful dinner, this beautiful restaurant that was sort of like a like a colonial palace. And the ants were in the garnish. (gasps) Really? Yeah. There was like a dollops of like a yucca puree. And then on top uh-huh. of each dollop was a big What's ass a big ant. ass ant. Do you have to eat several ants to get the effects, do you think? Or like I don't one know. big ass ant just <laughs> boom. Just right there? Yeah. <laughs> Can't walk out of the restaurant. Uh-huh. <laughs> got to keep your napkin down. I've got to sit here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Did you eat them? I tried one, but man, it just tasted like a little crunchy ant. Mm. You feel the little, little feet. Oh, getting stuck in your teeth. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Not my jam. But I tried it. <laughs> well, that's good. I took some pictures of those <gasps> vendors, so I will, we'll post some on oh, yes. uh, on our Instagram at Food Day Pod. And the last one, Leah? Mm-hmm. Fugu. Fugu? Fugu. Pufferfish. Maybe if you survive it, it's like, <laughs> I can do anything. Let's go. I have a new lease on life. 
<laughs> yeah. Fugu no or blowfish pufferfish, which is incredibly poisonous, mm-hmm. will shut down your nervous system in a second if it is not cooked yeah. professionally and not even professionally, like by highly skilled trained chefs, right? Right. Leah gave us a big rundown on fugu in our poisons episode, <laughs> and I don't think it came up that the Japanese consider it an aphrodisiac. Yeah, I don't recall that, but... I mean, I guess it makes sense, you know? It's supposed to be so luxurious tasting, Mm. but then with the added danger and the risk involved, if you get to eat it, you probably feel like super good afterwards that you're still alive, first of all. Yeah. And then you're like, I'm ready. I'm ready to to (laughs) love on people. (laughs) Hey, baby. I just survived Fugu. I just survived Fugu. (laughs) You up? Okay, we've got a big wide range of foods that are considered aphrodisiac. So besides all those things that we posited at the beginning, the cultural, the traditional, I wanted to talk about if there were any scientific reasons that people have associated these as aphrodisiacs. And the answer is yes. I read a lot of these things and I got to tell you, there was some credibility-ish to the scientific arguments, but people were making a lot of leaps. Oh, okay. These foods were considered aphrodisiac mostly because of some of the ingredients or the chemical compounds they contain or your physical reaction to the foods are sort of indirectly related to sex drive or arousal. Okay. Okay. So some of them said things like, this food stimulates blood flow or it raises your heart rate, or it relaxes your nervous system, Mm. or, you know, it's high in protein, it has vitamin B, which is for energy, those (laughs) kinds of things. So no straight lines to bone town. Yeah. Seems like you're really grasping there. Right. I mean, like, you just also take vitamin B when you, like, have a hangover. Yeah. So I'll give you some examples. One was chocolate. Uh Uh-huh. I'll read you this explanation. So let's see if I can pronounce these chemical names. That'll be fun. (laughs) The scientific explanation for the arousing effects of chocolate are found in phenylethylamine, PEA, and anandamide. (laughs) I went to art school. Okay, guys. AEA. So PEA is the chemical that causes elevated heart rates, increased energy, euphoria, and generally any symptom corresponding to the feeling of being in love. So the PEA's cohort, the AEA, is a neurotransmitter that acts on the brain in a similar fashion to THC. Hmm. The same chemical found in marijuana, and while chocolate won't get you stoned, the presence of AEA probably explains chocolate's ability to calm and mellow. Oh. So do you see what I'm saying? Like, I see. They're saying there's uh-huh. one ingredient that creates euphoria, increased energy, raises your heart rate, and another one that makes you calm and mellow. Uh-huh. And then there's oysters, mm-hmm. which we've talked about. And the biggest reason that people think oysters are aphrodisiac is because they contain a lot of zinc. And zinc is key in making testosterone, which is necessary for arousal. Ah. Chili peppers. They said that the spice raises the heart rate and a little bit of pain releases endorphins, which stimulates the nervous system. Okay. For fugu, kind of like what you said, they were saying because of the adrenaline rush Mm -hmm. of maybe a little fear could be part of it, wakes up your nervous system, and that the trace of poison that's left in the fish gives you like a stinging, tingling sensation. (laughs) So again, I want to believe... But these things seem kind of contradictory or sort of tertiary at best, right? 
Yeah, that there's no direct line. Like there's no direct line. <laughs> if zinc and vitamin B are really aphrodisiacs, then like shouldn't I get horny every time I take my multivitamin? Yeah, this lozenge. Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> those Centrum gummies. They put That's something right. in there. <laughs> Wire cutter should put that on the list. Centrum gummies. <laughs> you know, does zinc turn into testosterone immediately? Yeah. Raising your energy could mean that you want to go exercise. You know what I mean? So like a little bit of a stretch. <laughs> All right, so maybe all these many articles and listicles aren't quite doing it for me. So I was like, are there any actual studies, like conclusive scientific studies out there? Yeah. Uh, Not really. (laughs) There aren't really any studies that show that any foods or drinks are that direct line to sexual arousal. I mean, there was a study on durians that showed that it increased libido and sperm production in rats. Oh, wow. So not quite. (laughs) (laughs) Those little rat sarongs were just flying (laughs) off. (laughs) But there were many fun studies (laughs) that had fun results. Tell me. I want to So I was going to share two of those with you guys. (laughs) One was about coffee and the elderly's sex drives. Oh, old people sex? (laughs) Yeah. Well, kind of. Okay. So there was a study in the Archives of Internal Medicine where they studied 744 Michigan residents over 60 about their overall health. So I don't know if 60 Hmm. counts as elderly. Maybe in 1990, that's what we thought. Maybe, yeah. In that article, 62% of women who drank coffee said they were sexually active, Hmm. but only 37.5% of women who did not drink coffee were sexually active. Whoa. And for the men, 59% of non-coffee drinkers reported impotence problems, but only 36% of coffee drinkers reported impotence problems. Drinking that coffee. Yeah. So the Tampa Bay News on January 19th, 1990, published an article that said, study shows coffee may perk up the elderly's sex lives. (laughs) Which, again, I think calling people who are 60 the elderly. Maybe I'm just like closer to 60. Yeah, I'm getting too close to 60 now. I can't (laughs) think of it as elderly. (laughs) Elderly. I know 60-year-olds run marathons. Mm -hmm. The creators of the study did not link coffee to sex, but they had a few possible explanations for why those numbers lined up like that. One was that coffee drinkers could be in better health overall, because usually when people's health declines, they might stop drinking coffee and have reduced sex in their lives, right? Mm. Like after you have a heart attack. Yeah. Both of those activities might decline. One was that coffee is a diuretic, so it might reduce issues with your urinary system, right? It cleans Mm -hmm. out the pipes. Yep. And another... (laughs) I thought was interesting was that people who drink coffee tend to be more liberal, that was in the study? That was- this was one of the explanations. People who drink coffee tend to be more liberal in general. Huh. And caffeine might be considered, you know, naughty. And sex is considered naughty. Oh, okay. Wait till they hear about fruitcake. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Don't tell them. <laughs> Don't tell It's a hell of a breakfast. Uh-huh. Coffee and fruitcake. Fruitcake and coffee. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. But when one of the creators, Dr. Dianco, was asked if coffee was actually an aphrodisiac, he said, I don't even want to touch that question. <laughs> it's like, I know better. So no, no conclusions no. there. <laughs> and then there was actually a study of aromas and arousal. In hmm. 2014, the Smell and Taste Treatment Research Foundation in Chicago, Illinois, did a study called Human Male Sexual Response to Olfactory Stimuli. They actually had men put on masks with 30 different scents and then measured their arousals. (laughs) 
I just had this like visual of what the lab looked like, and it is <laughs> eyes wide shut. Plus Mad Max. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A little little clockwork orange in there. Uh huh. Yeah. But guess what number one was? Was it bacon? <laughs> bacon smell? Pumpkin pie. Pumpkin pie? Yep. Lavender and pumpkin pie. No way. Yep. And number three was pumpkin pie and donuts. And number nine was popcorn. So people, wait a minute. My question is, do we have the sexiest podcast in the world? (laughs) We've talked about all of these things. We've talked about all of these things. Pumpkin pie, weird. Right? But chocolate, which is supposed to be the huge aphrodisiac, came in 28th. That's so low. Out of 30. Out of 30? Out of 30, yeah. Chocolate. It's like not doing its job. No. You start putting pumpkin pie chunks in a a heart-shaped box. Last place was cranberry. Oh. Yeah, cranberry not a (laughs) turn-on, apparently. Well, I mean, when I think of cranberry, I think of having a UTI. So, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm just thinking. Cranberry juice. No, opposite. (laughs) So I'm looking at all these studies, looking for any scientific evidence. And then I saw one line that stood out to me, which was, The FDA's official stance is that there are no food or drink that have been proven to be aphrodisiacs. First, I love that the FDA has an official stance on this. That's crazy. I was like, (laughs) the FDA is weighing in on this? On like whether pistachios will turn you on? The government? Right. Shouldn't they be out there trying to keep salad bars from killing us? Uh Uh-huh. That's a callback. Second, have they been doing these smell tests too? You know, <laughs> <laughs> right? I was like, who else? Like, does the CDC have an opinion? Has Fauci weighed in? Like, what? How is this a thing? And the answer is yes. <gasps> so, welcome to my rabbit hole. Let's go. <laughs> Aphrodisiac is technically a category of drug under the FDA. They have made official statements about it, which is in the Code of Federal Regulations, and they talk about it all the time. Ah, oh no, because. Of supplements. Mm, okay. So since 1994, under the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act, supplements are under the jurisdiction of the FDA. And there's supplements all over the place that promise to be male enhancement, mm-hmm. libido, all those things. You've seen them at the gas station, the like tiger blood, <laughs> rhino horn. <laughs> it's always horns and big cats. <laughs> Their official statement, which is Law 21 CFR Paragraph 310.528, Drug Products Containing Active Ingredients Offered Over-the-Counter for Use of Aphrodisiacs, <laughs> says there is a lack of adequate data to establish general recognition of the safety and effectiveness of any of these ingredients or any other ingredient for over-the-counter use as an aphrodisiac. Labeling claims for these aphrodisiacs for over-the-counter use are either false, misleading, or unsupported by scientific data. Hmm. So they take a very Dana Scully approach of like, there is no scientific evidence that this is true. Mm -hmm. However, this statement is from 1989. Oh. Which somehow, Leah, is 33 years ago. (laughs) What? Oh. I know. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. I saw that and I was like, oh, it's like 22 years ago. No, it's not. (laughs) At least I'm a coffee drinker. (laughs) Drink that coffee, guys. Mm -hmm. Don't stop. Take those Zentrum gummies. (laughs) But, like, maybe they need to revisit that, you know? Yeah. Maybe there have been some improvements since Mm -hmm. Paula Abdul was forever our girl. That's right. 
So like I said, where this comes up the most often is in supplements, regulating supplements. Mm -hmm. Because there's all these pills out there, we'll lovingly call them the bodega boner pills. (laughs) They're a little unregulated. Yeah. And they can be super dangerous. In fact, in April 2019, the FDA did a recall of some of these male arousal pills called Platinum 40,000. <laughs> I have so many questions. 40,000 what? What is the 40,000? 40, 40,000 yeah. what? I- what is platinum? <laughs> and it's funny because the package, they put a little image of the package, uh-huh. is a lady eating a strawberry. <gasps> strawberry full circle back to strawberries Forty thousand strawberries (laughs) (laughs) that's like half of what you ate in the Uh summer right yeah Mm, delicious (laughs) so these pills claimed to just be natural supplements the ingredient list is just like goji berries and stuff like that but actually they contained a drug called sildenafil which is the active ingredient in viagra Not all natural. Not all natural. They lied. Not a supplement. And the thing is, Viagra's super dangerous. <laughs> yes. There's so many warnings. There's so many warnings. You can't take it if you have cardiovascular, lung, kidney mm-hmm. disease, heart condition. If you have seizures, you cannot drink alcohol when you're on it. Like, you know, the commercials where the last like 90 seconds are just all the side effects and the warnings. Yeah. There's a reason why, because it messes with your, your heart rate and your blood flow. Mm-hmm. So if you're on any kind of like blood pressure medication or anything, you cannot take it. So basically, somebody was like crushing up Viagra (gasps) and mixing it with, I don't know, turmeric and sticking (laughs) it in a little capsule and selling it. And it was killing people. Oh, my God. The statement says sildenafil is an active pharmaceutical ingredient in FDA approved products used in the treatment of erectile dysfunction. The presence of sildenafil in aphrodisiac capsules renders it an unapproved drug (gasps) for which safety and efficacy have not been established and therefore is subject to recall. Consumers with diabetes, hypertension, high cholesterol, or heart disease often take nitrates. Consumption of undeclared sildenafil along with the nitrates could result in a drop in blood pressure that is life-threatening and could result in serious adverse health consequences or death. Oh, jeez. <laughs> People, it's, it's not worth it. People, it's not do worth it. it. Don't do it. I mean, there's enough problems like just on the package. Like yeah. it says one capsule lasts seven days. Hello? Guys. <laughs> The four hours thing, like you're that's supposed to call after four hours. If it doesn't go for four hours, seven days. That would get super annoying. You're just peeing on the walls. Yeah. I was like, what do you take a week off work? But now that we all work from home, hey, this is hey. platinum four thousand's time to shine. Excuse me, it's platinum forty thousand. Oh, forty thousand. Sorry, I was off by the tens of thousands. <laughs> The first thing that I thought about with the FDA caring about these bodega boner pills, I just got this mm-hmm. image of Ruth Desmond in her trial mink, oh, like Ruth. weighing in on platinum 40,000. <laughs> I'd be kind of scared to see her in there talking about platinum 40,000. She'd make you feel bad about it. <laughs> Toad venom. Ruth Desmond, the real boner killer. <laughs> She'd have some real zingers. She'd drop some bombs. I think that she wouldn't say anything directly. She'd just have all kinds of euphemisms. Oh, for sure. Well, sir, if you would keep your rhino horn under control, we wouldn't be here at all. She'd probably tell these guys things like, I know you think you have a problem, but it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to your wife. Oh, signature Ruth Byrne. The thing is, I bet she's got all kinds of, like, secret 50s homemaker recipes that are actually, will actually get the job done. You know what I mean? She's got her own platinum 40,000. But it looks like gingerbread. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) 
She's like, you won't need those tiger paw pills when you try my meatloaf. <laughs> Just go check the cupboard. <laughs> If you don't know what we're talking about, please go back and listen to our peanut butter episode. You will hear the entire story of Ruth Desmond, the peanut butter grandma, and how she fought the FDA for, what was it, seven years? Eleven years? Twelve years. And is the reason why we've got labels on our food. Yeah. So go check that out. (laughs) But it wasn't just the Platinum 40,000, okay? They also had to issue warnings in the mid-1990s and again in 2015 because people were selling supplement pills. Mm -hmm. of a Chinese concoction thought to be an aphrodisiac called Chan Su under brand names like Stone and Love Stone and Blackstone and Rock Hard. (laughs) Except the Chan Su is a topical treatment. Oh. And it contains toad venom. But people (gasps) were taking it as a pill. No. So it killed people. No, no, no. They called it uh, and put out this warning in the mid-90s and then it was happening again in 2015. What, what do you think happened between the 90s and then 2015? People got complacent. Yeah. They were not reading their FDA warnings about their bodega boner pills. <laughs> bodega boner pills kill people. They kill. They kill. Call your doctor. Mm-hmm. Get a massage. <laughs> eat some strawberries. Just eat the strawberries. It's <laughs> not actually rhino horn. <laughs> <laughs> right. But toad venom was in that one? Yeah. Toad venom was in it. And it was supposed to be a topical thing, but they stuck it in a pill. Oh, no. They didn't label it as toad venom. That's a little harder of a sell, I think, than rhino horn. Yeah. (laughs) But then the other thing that the FDA is really worried about is eating raw oysters. The FDA (gasps) does not want you to eat raw oysters. And this is where I'm going to ruin it for you guys. Wait, but I love like a fresh oyster. No, don't do it. (gasps) They have a whole like media kit. They have brochures. They have PSAs. They have fact versus fiction cheat sheets (laughs) everywhere about don't eat raw oysters. Okay. Because raw oysters very often are contaminated with a bacteria called Vibrio vulnificus, which the CDC describes as a pathogenic bacteria of the genus Vibrio present in marine environments such as estuaries, brackish ponds, or coastal areas, aka where freaking oysters grow. <laughs> yeah. So basically, it's in the water where oysters grow, but then it gets in the oyster. So if you don't cook it, it doesn't kill the bacteria. It is a flesh-eating bacteria. Oh, my God. The CDC goes on to say, many people with Vibrio vulnificus infection require intensive care or limb amputations, and about one in five people with the infection die within a day or two of becoming ill. No. Most infections are caused from eating undercooked shellfish like oysters. And I love oysters. I am so sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry, everyone, but it's not sexy. But they're so good. (laughs) They're so good. I believe you, but they even put out an official statement. The myth is raw oysters are an aphrodisiac and will cure a hangover. The response is there's no scientific evidence that either of these commonly held beliefs is true. It will cure a hangover because it will kill you. (laughs) (laughs) You'll have great sex and then they'll chop off your leg. That is so frightening. Isn't that crazy? Like, I'm trying to think now of how many times I've eaten raw oysters, and I guess I've just narrowly escaped death. (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty common to eat them raw, right? Yeah, I went to this oyster farm, and we were, like, eating them straight from the water, the estuary. No. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, gotta be smart. Oh. I mean, I like them cooked. They're still great cooked, so I, I, you know. Okay. That's fine. Yeah. I do love a raw oyster, but... 
Wow, that's frightening. I didn't know there was like a warning, like an official FDA warning about it. There's not just a warning in statements. They put out a whole brochure. Oh. It's kind of a short story, a one-act play, maybe a comic book. (laughs) Wait. (laughs) A story brochure. Yes. It kind of reminded me of like when you're in the Union Square station and someone hands you one of those little like comic books that's like Jesus is coming. Yeah. (laughs) It kind of looks like that, but about oysters. It's called... Carlos's tragic and mysterious illness. Oh. How Carlos almost died by eating contaminated raw oysters. <laughs> it goes through the story of Carlos, who eats raw oysters with his broman friends. Huh. And then his wife tries to tell him maybe it's not a good idea, and he tells her to be quiet. Oh. And then a few days later, he gets terrible diarrhea and numb arms and has to go to the hospital. Carlos. And then the doctor discovers that Carlos also has, I think, cirrhosis of the liver. That is complicated. (laughs) This is so dark. It's so dark. It's also amazing. Leah, I think you and I should do like a dramatic reading. (gasps) Oh, should we? Should we do like an IG live? Let's invite everyone to come to our reading. Yes. Let's do an IG live. We'll tape it. We'll shoot it out. It's like a bonus episode because it's written like a play. Like it's like Carlos, colon, Rosa, colon. Let's do it. Let's do a dramatic reading. So excited. Playing the part of Carlos, Anna Van <laughs> Thank you. So are these foods really aphrodisiacs? Mm. Scientifically, is there a straight line from strawberries from chocolate to bone down? I don't think there is. But you know what? Who cares? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. If it makes you happy, if mm-hmm. it gets you in the mood, if it's part of the experience... Right. If it's special, sometimes I think what can get us turned on or get us relaxed is that something is special. You don't have chocolate-covered strawberries every day. Exactly. So it's not exactly love potion number nine. Although I did read that a lot of these foods used to be ingredients that, like, if you went to an apothecary for a fertility tonic. Oh, okay. These foods would be ingredients in them. And so then they just got associated with sex. Ah, So that could also be a thing. But, like, live your best life. Yeah. I know unlimited breadsticks is my love language, so that Mm. turns me on. Mm. Oh. Yes. Oh, God. Good garlicky breadsticks. If papaya does it for you, if mashed potatoes does it for you. That's right. Eat it on Valentine's Day and make it a whole thing. Really? I mean, isn't it just like be relaxed and happy and feel special? That's ultimately it. Yeah. You know, what is the thing that makes you happy? And maybe it's, it is oysters. (laughs) Maybe it is. Maybe like Fugu, just knowing (laughs) you're taking the risk Mm -hmm. of ending up like Carlos. (laughs) That's going to turn you on. (laughs) Don't be Carlos. (laughs) All right. That's what I got. Love it. Well, thank you for shedding a light on aphrodisiac foods, talking us through some of the research that's out there, and then ruining oysters. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'll have them cooked. It's fine. It'll be fine. All right, everybody. We love you. And we'll talk to you soon. Ciao. Happy Valentine's Day. (laughs) Happy Valentine's Day. They have stars in their eyes on this lovely Thank you for joining us for this episode of Every Day is a Food Day. Be sure to follow the show and catch up on past episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on social media at Food Day Pod. Join our mailing list through our website, yumday.co slash podcast. And don't forget to leave us that rating and review. The clips and music you heard today were from Lady and the Tramp from Walt Disney Studios, Friends from NBC Universal, and Forrest Gump from Paramount Pictures. Every Day is a Food Day is a production of Van Balen Productions and Yum Day. It is produced and hosted by us, Leah Valentine and Anna Van Balen. Bye.
Bye. Hope you get lucky. (laughs) 